I don't think you could all see what was happening up here during the baptism. But one little guy had discovered there's a step up here. And he was greatly fascinated in jumping off of it. And somehow intuitively knew that there's a leap of faith that's taking place here. One day, Will will be taking that leap of faith. But it was a great little image because all these... The, the little community of children were gathered around him wanting to assist him with that leap, and he wanted to do it on his own, but they were there to catch him if need be. It was a great image. Our text of Scripture this morning from Acts of the Apostles, the third chapter, is kind of an abbreviated text, but it's about a leap of faith. It's about a man who was begging outside of the temple and who had been born uh, lame and was unable to walk, who receives the ability to use his legs for the first time in his life, and took that leap of faith and went right into the temple, shouting for joy, leaping in praise of God. It created quite a stir. Peter has to explain what had just happened. And that's where the reading picks up in the 12th verse. Listen for God's word for you. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And now, O oh God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of this yet, but you certainly will be in just a few short months. Los Angeles will be the host of the Special Olympics this year. Some athletes from 177 different countries around the world will arrive in Southern California in July, and this will be the largest sporting event of the year. Many of the athletes will be staying in the dorms at Cal State Long Beach. 
they will compete in events throughout Southern California from San Luis Obispo all the way down to San Diego. It's expected to draw more people and be bigger than the 1984 Olympics. Now, by some estimates, there are as many as 54 million people in the United States with a disability. And the spiritual needs of many of them, especially the need for corporate worship, like the ones we're in, like corporate worship that we're enjoying now, their needs often go unmet because of the barriers that exist. Those barriers include architectural impediments like stairs and doors, communication barriers like amplification of sound, large print, good lighting. But the most significant barriers are attitudinal. The way we treat and interact with those with a disability. Now, the truth of the matter is, most of us at some point in our life are going to need assistance. It may be the need to use a wheelchair or a walker. It may be the need to read Braille or use amplification of sound because of a hearing impairment. We may at some point lose our memory, face some cognitive disabilities, have a mental health crisis. So there really is truth to that adage, we are only temporarily able-bodied. Language is always changing, and I have to tell you, over the years, I've had to learn to change my language when it comes to talking about people with a disability. For example, a good way to approach using language it's best to always remember to put people first. In other words, the person is the primary thing, the disability is the secondary thing. Instead of announcing, as I might here in worship, disabled worshipers may request assistive devices. It'd actually be much better and more accurate to say worshipers with disabilities may request assistive devices. Now, it seems like just a small change, but think of it this way. Instead of saying, John is handicapped and can't use the stairs, you put the person first, and you might say, the stairs in that building will be a handicap for John because he uses a wheelchair. Can you hear that slight difference? It's the difference between having a disability and being defined by a disability. Now, in this story in Acts chapter 3, we have a man who was defined by his disability. Quote, he was lame from birth. That would have been language used thousands of years ago. And he was carried to the gate of the temple known as the beautiful gate, so that he could beg for alms from those entering the temple. We don't know his name. We don't know very much about him at all. All we know is that on that particular day, he experienced this life-changing power. Peter and John were walking into the temple. And so 
he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, it says, as did John, and then said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, and then Peter said, I have no silver or gold. I don't have one thin dime. But what I have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And they entered the temple together, walking and leaping and praising God. You see, the real path to worship for Peter and John was not around human misery. It was right through it. The power that was present in Jesus before the crucifixion and the resurrection is now present in his followers, present in the community of believers. Peter, who famously denied Jesus during his arrest, now becomes this powerful spokesperson for the faith. As if to say Jesus and his power has not gone from the scene. It's present in and through those who are his witnesses. The minute that man's wobbly feet felt the strength in his ankle bones and he started to walk and then run and then jump just as that boy was doing down here in fact he ran right in the front of the temple and right down the center aisle of that service hollering praises to God and that causes a little confusion in worship somebody loose in the church praising God well it upsets things a little for us Presbyterians Here's the interesting thing in the way the story is told. The crowd is spellbound by the extraordinary event, but it chooses to fix its gaze not on the man who is healed, but on the miracle workers themselves. Not the man who was restored, but on Peter and John. They gaze at them. So Peter responds to their amazement with this little sermon recorded in our text. And in short, he says, look, we're not the story here. And for that matter, neither is the restored man with this disability. He will happily take his healing and he will forego the headline. So then who is responsible for this miraculous deed? No one less than God, Peter proclaims. And he makes it clear, following up and expounding upon just who this God is. It's the God of Israel. It's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of our ancestors. The life of giving one that's the star of the story here in this story Peter is not looking up like he was in the first chapter when the Holy Spirit 
descended upon them. No, here Peter is looking down his finger. You Israelites, you rejected the holy and the righteous one. Thankfully, he softens his accusation with, and now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance. I, so, I see this scene in the temple where everybody's amazed at what has just happened, and so they kind of gather around Peter and John, and they begin to congratulate them. Wow! Woo! That was wonderful! Amazing! You got this man back on his feet. Wonderful! How did you do that? Now, if I were Peter, I'd probably be a little tempted to say, well, you know, thank you, thank you very much. I, uh, yes, I had a little bit of a trouble when I grabbed him, uh, getting his arm, but once I got him on his feet, well, you know, everything worked out well. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to go and report this to the session. Let them know all about it, maybe ask for a raise, <laughs> file a report with the presbytery. You know, since I've been a pastor at least 20 or 30 years, I, I can think of 20 or 30 people I've gotten on their feet. I have that kind of thing in me, you know. No, it wasn't that response at all. It was not the faith of Peter and John and it wasn't the faith of the man himself that got him on his feet. Nothing magical happened here at all. This is no human attempt to control the power of God. So Peter has to explain and interpret what's happened. Look, friends, he said, I don't have what it takes. I couldn't fix him. The God of Abraham and Sarah, the God of Isaac and Rebekah, the God of Jacob and Rachel has done this. And what's even more wonderful than this, the Jesus whom we framed and whom we disowned, God has raised from the dead. And with that, Peter puts his finger right directly on the heart of everything the New Testament has to say and has to tell me. That's the person. This is the one who got this man on his feet. Now, there are plenty of ways for us to be paralyzed in life. Sometimes we're paralyzed by our failures. Sometimes we're immobilized by our fears. Sometimes we're afraid to get on our own feet and stand for justice in the face of injustice and intimidation. Sometimes it's just hard to stand up for what is right and good. And in this Easter season, I become aware of the fact that Easter is about more than the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead as a kind of invitation to you and me that we can go to heaven when we die. Easter meant that God was unwilling to take our no for an answer. 
He raises Jesus and puts him on his feet again and plants those feet firmly in this world and sets him to preaching and teaching and healing again. And we see him in the flesh, in the people in our lives. So God is still at work in our world. The world said no to Jesus, but God said yes. And that means that Christ is present amongst us in a way that gets us on our feet. And that's the kind of power I need in my life. Because there's so many things in my own life I can't fix. Like the man in the story. I sometimes not sure I even believe they can be fixed. But here in this story, God heals paralysis. God says, I'm going to have the last word. And you're going to keep running into my son right back down there in the middle of your life. you will find Jesus to be that same kind of creative, healing, disruptive presence in your life and in your affairs that he has always been. And I get to thinking that God has sort of focused life in the present tense, not in the future. Not simply giving me some promises of a presence, but giving me a kind of power for the present. So when Peter proclaims Christ is risen, it's not because his grave is empty. It's because he keeps running into people who have been touched by his Spirit and who do the same kinds of things that Jesus began to do and teach. See, we don't enter the future unfettered and free to move forward without being freed from the crippling kind of influences of our past mistakes, our wrongdoings, our hopeless attitudes the kind of pain that we carry around within us. Some years ago I shared this lyric, this poem, and I find today I think it resonates, and maybe it will for you as well. Mary Sue Dobbins is a blind singer and a teacher at a Montessori school and I think she captures kind of the essence of this sort of healing that I'm talking about in the lyrics to her song. It was the theme song years ago for what was known as the Year of the Handicap. It goes like this. It's not just what you're born with. It's what you choose to bear. It's not how large your share is but how much you can share. 
And it's not the fight you dream of, but those you truly fought. It's not how much you're given, but what you do with what you've got. Now we all know someone like him, tall and strong and lean, body like a greyhound with a mind so sharp and keen, but his heart's just like a laurel rue, all twisted on itself, till almost everything he did brought pain to someone else. Now what's the use of two good legs if you only run away? What good is the finest voice if you've nothing good to say? What good are strength and muscles if you only push and shove? What's the use of two good ears if you can't hear those you love? Between those who use their neighbor and those who use a cane, between those in constant power and those in constant pain, between those who run to evil and those who cannot run, tell me, which ones are the cripples? Which ones touch the sun? Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we know that you have been at work in our lives doing your creative healing and disruptive work but we have preferred to handle things ourselves and to go our own way but we need the kind of healing we cannot affect ourselves we want to approach life unhindered and find ourselves back on our feet and we believe you can bring that kind of healing so please don't take our no for an answer Help us to believe that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the name of Jesus the Christ.